Howdy, folks. Tomorrowland Transit Authority Metroliner non-stop now departing Rocket Tower Plaza Station for a round-trip Super Skyway Tour. Hollywood, 1939. Welcome to the WDW Reflections Podcasts with your hosts, Dewey, Ron, and Tony. Here, we love to talk about the Walt Disney World Resort, the way we remember it, how it's changed, and why we still enjoy visiting the most magical place on Earth. We're not experts, but we want to share our unique experiences and memories with you. You may learn some facts you never knew before, and you may return to some of your own memories of the Walt Disney World Resort and we'd love to share these memories together. So come with us on a podcast journey as we reflect on the WDW Reflections Podcast. Please stand clear of the doors. Reflections. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the WDW Reflections Podcast, your unofficial guide through Disney World memories and their connections to the parks we know and love today. This is the first episode of season two of the WDW Reflections podcast, episode number 20. I am Dewey, one of your hosts, and it's hard to believe that we've done 20 of these shows already, but uh, I don't know, guys, did you think we'd make it to 20? I'm glad we made it to 20. <laughs> I'm too. I don't know that I knew that we would or not, but I'm glad we have. I, now I'm, I'm anticipating that we're going to see multiple seasons and and this is too much fun not to i agree uh we were talking about it earlier this morning uh before we started recording and uh we you know we do this because it's fun and it's uh that's basically why we're here we just enjoy talking about this stuff and uh i know in my daily life i pretty much talk about disney world anyway so why not record it and and you know let other people hear are rambling. So yeah, 20 episodes. That's pretty cool. So it's pretty exciting. We thank you all for being here with us. Stick around towards the end of the show for more information on how you can contact us, become involved in the show through social media groups, and maybe even be a contributor to future episodes. With me today are my podcast travel buddies, Ron and Tony, coming to us from Cleveland, Tennessee is my buddy, Ron. What's going on there, Ron? Hey, happy new year. First off, uh, it's good to be our 20th episode is crazy though. It doesn't seem like 20. Um, and just having a great time. All right. Good to see you, Ron. And yeah, happy new year to you, buddy. Happy new year. And then coming to us from the big apple is my buddy, Tony G. What's up, Tony? Hey everybody. Happy new year to you guys. And I'm looking forward to talking more Disney. All right, so this week, as Ron mentioned, we just celebrated New Year's. We're recording this episode on January 2nd, actually, so um, Happy New Year to everybody. And as we celebrate the New Year, we thought it would be fun to reflect on the tradition of Pleasure Island celebrating New Year's Eve every night of the year. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate New Year's with you right here back in the 1990s. So when Disney opened Pleasure Island on May 1st of 1989, 
as Disney always does, they created an elaborate backstory to explain the existence of this nighttime drinking, dancing, and partying district. So look, I'm not going to get into a complete recount of this backstory because to be perfectly honest with you, there's not one backstory for Pleasure Island. There's not two backstories for Pleasure Island. There's actually three versions of this elaborate backstory that uh, the Disney Imagineers wrote to, to explain the existence of this nighttime party district. And Dewey, and before if, you get too far, for the listeners who might be new to Walt Disney World, uh, or at least visitors over the past 10 years, Pleasure Island is something they've probably never even heard of. Absolutely. Um, if you experienced Disney World in the first 20 years or so, Pleasure Island didn't exist. You know, obviously there was no Pleasure Island in 71 and uh, it didn't open until 1989. So almost 20 years of Disney World with no Pleasure Island. And then we're sitting in 2021 now and, uh, you know, not to not to give away any details about uh, the main topic here, but it's been basically a decade already since Pleasure Island went away. So it's... Um, there, there, there's, I guess you could say of the, the 50 years of the Walt Disney World Resort, 30 years of it, there is no Pleasure Island. So we're talking about a, a relatively small window. So um, I'm just going to jump into, I guess what you could say is the most well-known of the many, many stories written to create the backstory for Pleasure Island. Uh, I'm going to talk about the one that I guess they pretty much, you could say they stuck with, the one that stuck around for the longest. So if we want to be precise here, like I said, there were several backstories. And the original, you guys ready for this? You're, you're probably going to have a, a look on your face of, huh? Because it's kind of out there. So the original involved a landing pad built to accommodate an alien landing craft that was turned into a bandstand. <laughs> right? It, you guys are like, what? Huh? Yes. So the original, the original plot of downtown Disney was that they, they, the, the character that we'll talk about in a minute, his name is Meriwether Adam Pleasure. His last name was Pleasure. Uh, built a landing pad because he thought aliens were going to arrive and his wife hijacked that landing pad and made it a bandstand for um for a an orchestra so that's uh, fascinating you know saying <laughs> when you're saying that i can actually see it now remembering because i used to stand on that stage from time to time and i can kind of see that there makes was sense there on that stage, which later became named or known as the West End stage, because yeah. we're on the West End of uh, Pleasure Island, uh, there was actually a plaque that explained this. Wow! Plaque, it was a Pleasure Missed Island that. plaque. It was there, and the plaque explained that Meriwether Pleasure uh, built this stage or built this platform to welcome the aliens <laughs> and that, you know, and the plaque says, you know, it talked about the wife making it a, a, a bandstand and 
I believe in the quotes, it actually said something about Meriwether Pleasure's displeasure at his wife hijacking the stage or had hijacking the platform and making it a stage. And in the plaque, it actually had a quote that said, how are they going to land here if there's a band playing on the, <laughs> on the platform? So uh, needless to say, that story didn't really take off. And uh, as no pun intended. Uh, and, and oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll be here all night. Um, <laughs> it didn't really take off. It was uh, kind of kind of weird. That story was the 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 official story for um, about the first year. And Disney execs were like, huh? Just like we're saying, huh? They didn't really get it. So the that's I guess that's all we'll say about that version of the story because it's out there. So among the changes that happened for the relaunch of Pleasure, Pleasure Island from the 1990, 1989 into the 1990 season was the installation of, of entrance gates at each end of the, of the island and ticket booths that were fashioned from repurposing train cars from the defunct Fort Wilderness Railroad. So you guys will probably, probably remember at the, at the end of, of Pleasure Island before you were allowed to enter, they had the ticket booths and those uh, were train cars. And uh, if, if you're watching the video over Tony's right shoulder, you can actually see one of those ticket booths uh, right over his right shoulder there. And uh, so uh, those, those ticket booths were train cars and uh, when the Fort Wilderness Railroad was uh, taken down and was no longer in service, they brought those those ticket booths or brought those train cars over and made ticket booths out of them. And um, also among those changes, thankfully, Disney tasked Comedy Warehouse and Adventurers Club show writer Chris Owen with revising that original story, eliminating that strange alien storyline and introducing a new nightly New Year's Eve celebration into the story. So that's what we want to focus on is specifically, we're not going to do a whole history of Pleasure Island because quite frankly, it would be a super long episode. And also uh, there's been a few other podcasts that have actually done episodes on the history of Pleasure Island in general. And that's uh, a pretty good episode. So if you're looking for a history of Pleasure Island, I would invite you to go check out, um, I believe, Retro WDW, uh, one of my uh, one of the podcasts I listened to. They did they did a great episode on the history of Pleasure Island. But we want to focus on the history of the nightly New Year's Eve celebrations that were held at the west side of Pleasure Island on the West End stage 365 nights a year. But to tell that story, we do need to make an attempt of at least providing a brief overview of the uh, the second version of that that backstory that that Chris Owen and the Disney Imagineers put together. So, if our time at Disney if our time as Disney fans have taught us anything, it's that Disney doesn't do anything halfway. If uh, if they're going to do something, they're probably going to do do it over the top and overwrite the story or the backstory more than they're going to just, just kind of do it halfway. 
So Disney couldn't just open a nighttime party district without explaining how and why this place came into existence. Enter Meriwether Adam Pleasure, businessman, explorer, and adventurer. Insert eventual Adventurers Club tie-in here. The story says that Pleasure was sailing his paddle wheeler through the Florida Barge Canal System in the early 1900s when he discovered an uncharted lake where he encountered a village of, get this y'all, ghost Indians. He encountered a village of ghost Indians. These Indians were known as the I-4 Indians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It was, the, it was here that these I-4 Indians told pleasure of their deity that they worshiped and called the Funmeister. In order to honor this deity, Pleasure chose to build his Pleasure Island homestead where every day would be dedicated to individuality, the celebration of life, and the sharing of laughter. And it was on this island that Meriwether Pleasure built his sail-making business and where he built several buildings to house experimental forms of transportation, like a train locomotive that was a mixture of steam locomotive and magnetic powered and a flying contraption that he called the X thing. So how does that backstory translate into a nightly New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve celebration? I know that's you, what you guys are asking yourselves. You're like, hmm, how does that tie in? Well, here, let me tell you. Okay. So according to the Pleasure Island lore, Mary Adam, Meriwether Adam Pleasure was built on, goodness gracious, let's try that again. Meriwether Adam Pleasure was born on New Year's Eve in 1873. His eldest son was born on New Year's Eve of 1901. His second son was born on New Year's Eve of 1905. So I think you see a, a, a story developing here, right? New Year's Eve is important in the Pleasure family. On New Year's Eve, 1911, is the date that Pleasure steamed into Lake Buena Vista and a new chapter was opened in his life and Pleasure Island was born. When his child, his last child named Miriam, was born on February 17th of 1912, Meriwether said that it was a sign, a sign that a family tradition of landmark events occurring on New Year's Eve had been broken. And the only way to correct this chronological indiscretion was to correct time itself. Pleasure said that it was his island and he could say it was any day he wanted it to be on his island. He claimed that the birth of Miriam on a date so far out of this Pleasure family tradition was clearly a sign from the Funmeister himself that every day should be New Year's Eve on Pleasure Island. So are you, you guys following? Is it making sense? Oh yeah, totally, totally making sense. So in the 1940s, Hurricane Charlotte decimated the island and the Pleasure family disappeared. The land and all of its buildings stayed in a state of decay until Disney Imagineers discovered the island while surveying the property for development of the Walt Disney World Resort. So are you thoroughly confused? 
Yeah, where this? Yes. Where they come in from? <laughs> yeah, we're all confused. Good, good. Yes, we're all confused. Listener and host alike. All right. So it's no surprise that most people who visited Pleasure Island had no idea about this convoluted storyline. If you went around to uh, the various clubs uh, on Pleasure Island, you could, you know, back then at least, you could find plaques at each one of the buildings that tied in each building to this overall Meriwether Adam Pleasure storyline. The, um, the, some of the clubs were the various buildings that he built to house his experiments and, and uh, the sailmaking facility that he was his family business and all of those things. And you can go on to, I found a lot of good information on uh, Mouse Planet. There's a uh, mouseplanet.com that actually has um, pictures of all of those plaques for each one of the, the various clubs. And it explained how, you know, this club was the whatever building and it had housed this experiment and it's, you know, and what it is now, it's a dance club or whatever. So a lot of those pictures and stuff of those plaques are, are found on mouse planet but the imagineers tried to make sense of each building and tried to make sense of the 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 overall arcing storyline that tied in these buildings with this merry weather adam pleasure new year's eve celebration everyday thing uh so I, I, it's very convoluted. I get it. And uh, when I was doing the research for this episode, uh, I mean, I, I was entertained to say the least because I knew about um, Pleasure Island being named after, uh, you know, Meriwether Pleasure and everything. And I knew that, that there was a, um, a bit of a storyline, but I had no idea. I, I never even paid attention to the plaques and stuff that were on each of the buildings. Uh, I was more, more worried about buying adult beverages and, and, uh, meeting my wife, which actually I did meet my wife at Pleasure Island in September of 1999. But that's a story for another day. So uh, as, as, as confusing and convoluted as, as this storyline is, it does illustrate how far Disney will go to create an elaborate, black, an elaborate backstory to bring a new project to life. So that's how Disney explained why Pleasure Island celebrated New Year's Eve every night it was a an attempt by the pleasure family to honor this deity known as the fun meister and i'm sure you guys have seen the the original pleasure island logo and if you look um if you're if you're watching the video you can see uh and tony's picture uh the pleasure island uh and you see the the half moon face the half moon face was the Pleasure Island logo. That is the Fun Meister, fellas. The Fun Meister was half man, half moon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. So that was that's the Fun Meister. The Fun Meister is that moon faced fella. And it sounds um, like the Imagineers spent too much time uh, uh, drinking the stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were. <laughs> <laughs> they were clearly spending too much time in the clubs uh, enjoying adult beverages while they were writing this backstory to be sure so the fun meister is that half moon face guy that you could see on all of the uh, advertising 
and all of that fun stuff for Pleasure Island. That is the fun Meister. So, so that explains why or how they could celebrate New Year's Eve every day. They were offering that celebration as a tribute to the fun Meister, the, the, the happy deity of Pleasure Island. So basically that nightly celebration went something like this. A band, usually Frankie and the West End Boys, but uh, many other bands uh, played there on the West End stage. But each night, usually Frankie and the West End Boys would play several sets throughout the night on the West End stage, culminating in the last set before the big countdown began. Usually starting around 11.45 p.m., the band would start hyping up the crowd with a countdown to midnight and the beginning of the new year. With only about a minute until 12, the music would stop and the real countdown began. And with 10 seconds left, just like New Year's Eve, a cr the crowd would count down the last 10 seconds until the clock struck 12. Confetti, canyon, confetti cannons and fireworks filled the sky as everyone celebrated the new year, regardless of month and day. New Year's Eve was celebrated every night from spring 1990 until actual New Year's Eve of 2005 with music, dancing, and quite a bit of confetti, a, tra a tradition that lasted about 15 years. So the first entrance fees charged for Pleasure Island would cost you about $14.95 to get in. And you could begin enjoying the clubs, dance halls, and comedy shows within its gates at around 6.30 p.m. So during the day, you could actually walk through Pleasure Island and go to the shops and things, but none of the clubs were open. And then at six, right before 6.30, they would shut it down and you had to pay that $14.95 to get in to enjoy the, the nighttime offerings. The tradition of every night is New Year's Eve officially ended on New Year's Eve of 2005. And with that change came many other changes to the nighttime club district. In 2006, in an attempt to reverse declining attendance, Disney dismantled the West End stage and the hub stage. When Disney, elim Disney eliminated the entrance fee, and, uh, and went to a by club entrance fee instead, these stages began attracting large groups of local teens happy to come fill the park and get free entertainment, all while not paying for Disney's expensive alcoholic drinks. It was hoped that the removal of these two stages would eliminate some of these free seekers and also allow for construction of a new pedestrian bridge that connected what was then downtown Disney with the west side of downtown Disney. And also a dock was constructed at the other end of the island to take advantage of waterfront views. So on June 27th of 2008, Walt Disney World Resort announced that over the next two years, Pleasure Island's nightclubs would be replaced with new stores and restaurants. The celebration of New Year's Eve and the big party at midnight was resurrected one last time on its last night of operation in September of 2008. Many of the original Pleasure Island cast members, including members of the Adventurers Club and the Comedy Warehouse cast returned for one final hurrah 
And even Frankie and the West End Boys returned to play one final show at Pleasure Island. The entertainment venues, including nightclubs and comedy clubs, ceased operations on September 27th of 2008. And with that, Pleasure Island, and with it, its nightly tradition of celebrating New Year's Eve, every night was laid to rest for one final time. And although many of the buildings from Pleasure Island were demolished to make way for the reimagining of downtown Disney into what we now know is called Disney Springs, not all of those buildings are gone. The area that once had been Pleasure Island has now been renamed The Landing, and several of the buildings from Pleasure Island are actually still there. If you're feeling nostalgic, you can go check out the old Adventurers Club building. It still remains and is now called the Edison. It's a themed restaurant meant to resemble a 1920s era electric company. And much of the infrastructure inside the building still looks similar to the old Adventurers Club, such as the large winding staircase and the rotunda, rotunda, that's a hard word to say, rotunda that made up the main parlor of the Adventurers Club is still there. So what do you guys, what about you guys? Did you guys ever experience Pleasure Island and its nightly New Year's Eve celebration? I know uh, I'm looking at Ron right here and his on, on our Zoom call that we're using to record, it says uh, his, his name is Ron, never been, but opinions will be offered. So <laughs> Ron, you never, never got to experience at least the nighttime portions of Pleasure Island. That's what you're saying? Yeah, we we just never had the opportunity. We almost took an opportunity to go to the comedy club there, um, but we were on a family vacation, so we opted not to get a babysitter and do that. But um, heard a little bit about it. We just never had the opportunity to partake. What about walking through? I'm sure you guys probably walked through. Maybe you didn't even realize you were walking through Pleasure yeah, Island. Yeah, I mean, we walked through it a little bit. Um, we had lunch one day at um oh, hollywood planet hollywood planet hollywood yeah so i mean we did do that and that was fun because it, it that one was shaped like the earth and you walked into it so it was fun yeah that was actually um if you were at the uh, the planet hollywood if you were facing planet hollywood and the, the parking lots behind you facing planet hollywood the Planet Hollywood actually stood uh, right in front of the entrance to Pleasure Island. And you were looking at the backside of the West End stage. So that really was the entrance to Pleasure Island right there behind. Planet yeah, Island. so I think we walked through there, but we didn't get to do anything that made it memorable other than lunch at Hollywood. What about you, Tony? Did you ever go check out any of the, the, the clubs or the... I, I bet you were dancing the night away at mannequins <laughs> or, or, or eight tracks right you, you know what's funny is um i i pretty much led kind of a sheltered life even though i'm from new york city i kind of stayed away from all that kind of stuff i'm more introverted however when i was on vacation um it was a little bit different because i felt that under the disney cocoon everything was kind of safe like if i were to travel here I, one of the reasons i didn't go to nightclubs here is because you always felt there was like kind of an unsafe nature to them especially in the 1980s and 90s um but 
when I was young enough to to enjoy that. But in Disney World, you know, you've got that bubble. It's Walt Disney World. It's it's safe. It's, nothing's going to happen here. And so I, I I enjoyed going to Pleasure Island because I felt that was the one thing that even though I was going to Disney World, which people on my side here would think that was a, a childish place, I would still have that opportunity to go someplace that was a little bit more adult. Uh, you know, it felt a little bit more adult, even though I don't know if that's what adult means because I, I didn't drink then. I really don't. I don't drink now either. So it, it wasn't for that. It was just for the experience of being somewhere where there were other people having a good time and also looking for the possibility of meeting that special someone too. So it's, it's nice to hear that you actually did. Um, I remember going to Pleasure Island specifically once with the idea of, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to meet somebody here tonight. Of course, I don't, <laughs> I don't think I did, but uh, my, uh, plus I have family in Florida and it was another, and they were young. My nieces and nephews are only a couple years younger than me. So we would go out there and as a group sometimes and, and really enjoy the idea of New Year's Eve and watching the, the fireworks. We got to spend it together since I lived uh, far away from them, we'd go there and spend it together and watch the, um, the, uh, the, the bands go to the night, to the clubs, dance with them for a bit. It's funny you mentioned eight track. Is that the one that had the eighties and seventies music? If I remember correctly, right? Uh, that was yes. one of the few places, that was one of the few places you could do that. I don't think there, there was any place you can go to listen to seventies music in the 1990s. And actually, you know, I missed that whole era when I was growing up because I was too young. So it was kind of fun. I, I do remember staying alive in there <laughs> during the night fever thing. But <laughs> were you wearing your uh your, the your white, white suit. suit with the black black butterfly collared shirt? <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> Mannequins, I think, scared me. I think that was one of the 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 noisier ones in there. That was um more modern music, if I remember correctly. It was it did, and it had um that's the one that had the revolving dance floor. Oh yeah, right. And uh it's funny because, you know, we're, I was trying to tell the story of Meriwether Adam Pleasure. Uh, you know, mannequins had that revolving dance floors like a big circular platform that spun like a record. In the, uh, the, the lore of Pleasure Island, that, um, that building was the one that housed Meriwether Adam Pleasure's, uh, that locomotive that he was working, his experimental locomotive. And that rotating floor is what moved his train around to get it to a different track or whatever. So I, they really did try to make sense of why, why this dance club had a revolving floor. It was, well, that was the roundhouse for his train. What's you know, weird so. is I missed all that. I, did, I had no idea of any of this backstory until you mentioned that. That's pretty fascinating. I probably was so naive. I probably would have bought it too. I would have thought, wow, really? <laughs> <laughs> I went. I also, and I have to say too, we went to the nightclub. I'm, I'm sorry, to the comedy club a few times. And there were some, I remember laughing hysterically at some of the acts that we saw there. So there was some, some good shows there. And, um, and of course, the Adventurers Club, um, uh, when I was first taken through there, uh, I was told that it was this um, this place that Disney World fanatics really loved. I didn't really get it. I didn't understand why when I walked in there because there wasn't anything happening. But there was one time that I did go and they were in the middle of one of their... For those of you who don't know, the Avengers Club is kind of a... It's hard to even explain. Kind of an interactive thing where there, people would come around and, and you'd be sort of in a murder mystery, but without the murder mystery thing going on. And um, characters would come out and interact with you and... 
and uh, there were secret shelves and the bathroom was in some, some kind of secret place. And Dewey, when we were looking at some of the history of this, I just happened to look up something earlier. And uh, here in New York, I don't know if you guys had, had ever been to it, but we have the Jekyll and Hyde Club, uh, which was always to me kind of similar. And it turned out that, yes. it, that it was created by some fans of the, of the Adventurers Club who liked it so much that they brought that idea back here and created that kind of a, a thing here with the with the hidden bathrooms and the old style, um, the 40s um, backstory going on back there. So I, I think for me, Pleasure Island was a fun place to just go to do something different than it was in the theme parks. You'd go to the theme parks during the day and then at night, there'd be this fun kind of a place where you could do different types of things. And it was, it was fun. I, I thought it was fun back then. I don't know if I think that now, but, um, even the shopping at the time, they had a couple shops there that didn't really exist anywhere else in Disney World, and you were able to to walk around and and partake in that. Yeah, the the Adventurers Club is, and that's that's something that could be its own episode. It was so um, so elaborate. Yeah, but um, it, it was almost it was called it a club for a good reason. It was, I mean, you really had to. You couldn't just go one time and right. understand what the Adventurers Club was. You, it was something that, and it really became popular with locals. They would go frequently, and you know they. You almost felt like if, like for me, when I went, I enjoyed it, but I didn't get the whole thing. Yeah, because I didn't, I didn't go enough. Mm -hmm. But people, the locals, man, they went and they they had the whole. Um, there was an Adventurers Club creed that you know you would raise your right hand and swear oath to, you know, adventure and all that kind of stuff. And Congaloosh. Congaloosh. Yeah, absolutely. So the, you know, if you weren't in the know, you could walk into the adventures club and be like, what's, what's wrong going with on? People? Because, yeah. because like everybody seemed to know the jokes, it, but I did. And I was like, why do all these people know the words to the song? You know what I mean? Oh yeah. It was, right. It was yeah. almost like, Everybody, I walked into a, a TV show or a movie or something, and I was the only character <laughs> out of place. You know, I was like, what is going on here? It was fascinating, but I didn't under really understand what was going on. Um, you know, the locals that came all the time, they were almost a part of the show. Yeah. You know, they they were, you know, singing along and reciting the, the pledge or the creed or whatever. But it was it was really a fascinating place. And what Disney has done now and has tied that into the whole the SEA, the Society of, Adventure, right. of Explorers and Adventurers. So they've really tied that whole SEA into the Adventurers Club. And um, Which they started characters. to even uh, uh, it's beginning to be in the movies. I think it was in the Jungle Cruise. Movie. Absolutely. Yes. Um, uh, Dr. Albert Falls, who you see and hear, you don't see, but you hear about on the Jungle Cruise and, um, you know, other characters all across the Disney parks all around the world. Um, there's a guy named Hightower that is involved in the SEA and his storyline is in one of the Tower of Terror uh, attractions in one of the other parks. And there's a lot of SEA stuff involved in uh, Disney's uh, Tokyo Tokyo Disney, the Disney Sea Park, there's a lot of SEA involvement there. And even in, um, oh, my mind's going blank now, but what the uh, the Skipper Canteen 
the restaurant that's in Magic Kingdom across kind of across the way from the Jungle Cruise. There's a lot of SEA stuff in uh, in the Skipper Canteen. And it's all this gigantic, elaborate story that is kind of uh, has grown out of the uh, the the Adventurers Club. And even to the point where they went back and rewrote some of that crazy Meriwether Adam Pleasure story that he was um, a member of this SEA and that the Adventurers Club just happened to be the Florida branch of the uh, the SEA club location. So uh, they've all tied it all in. So now the uh, Meriwether Adam Pleasure, the creator of Pleasure Island, was actually a member of the SEA. So it's this whole gigantic uh, story that that encompasses a hundred years and goes to every Disney park on the planet. So it's really uh, kind of cool. But did you that? No, go ahead. No, I was just about to ask, did you ever get to experience the New Year's Eve portion of it? I'm glad you asked that. Um, look, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a huge nerd, but that was my favorite, man. Yeah, I, me too. I, me too. I absolutely loved it. Uh, I'm a amateur musician. I play bass guitar, um, average, and I play six string guitar, uh, less than average. Uh, but I love I love music. I'm a I'm a admirer of uh, musicians and and love live music. So, um, like I I used to just park myself in front of the West End stage, and I I watched the Frankie and the West End Boys played uh, every chance I got. And I anytime I was at Pleasure Island, I was there for the uh, for the for the, the fireworks the fireworks and the the countdown, which I thought the, was kind of even better than the ones at the parks in a, in a way, because it was a little bit more controlled. You can, you could actually get away from it as well, but it was also more intimate, you know, it was when intimate, you're, yeah. when you're at magic kingdom or whatever, you're elbow to elbow with every other smelly park, park guest, you know, that's been in the Florida sun for 17 hours that day. But it's at pleasure Island. It was, you know, just a couple of hundred people maybe. And, um, and it you was know, exciting. There was an excitement to the in the air about the fact that they're going to count down to midnight. And yet, you know, it's not really a new year, but it just there was I remember just looking at that photo behind you there just reminds me of the excitement that when you walked in, there was a lot of buzz going on. It was a good gimmick. It was yeah. a way for uh, for Disney to uh, if you if you read the histories about Disney World and everything, uh, this this was born in the Michael Eisner era. Yeah. He was uh, trying to get every last quarter out of the, the park goers pocket and didn't want them to go off property. So that's when they started building uh, all the hotels. And, you know, this explosion of the Disney decade was building anything and everything they could think of to keep you on Disney property instead of going to uh, Church Street Station in, in uh, Kissimmee or going to any other location that offered a nighttime opportunity they wanted you to stay and do that nighttime opportunity on disney property and keep giving your money to the mouse and that's what pleasure island was and one of those gimmicks was every night is new year's eve and uh and it worked i i loved it i bought yeah, into it and me too. you figure in gosh i graduated high school in 1992 so you know i was in my early to mid 20s during the heyday of Pleasure Island. Uh, unfortunately, I was also an airman in the Air Force, and um, 
that means I made no money at all. So I could barely afford uh, a Disney trip and I could barely afford um, uh, an expensive adult beverage at Pleasure Island. But uh, I still went and I would I'd buy one or two beers and uh, make it last <laughs> the whole night, you know, because I couldn't afford to buy multiples. But I, I would save my money. I would save my 10 bucks until about 1130. And I would go to the little, uh, they had a little bar, outdoor bar right beside um, the comedy warehouse, which was uh, at the west end of the state or west end of the, of the island, right beside the west end stage. So I would about 1130 or 1140 or so I would take my 10 bucks and I would get my one drink for the night at that little bar and I would have a beverage to celebrate New Year's with uh, every time. So I absolutely love the whole uh, the I bought into that New Year's Eve gimmick. And um, I don't know if I if I had to guess, I would say I probably went to Pleasure Island. I don't know, over the years, 10 or 15 times, maybe um, to 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 experience the whole every night is New Year's Eve and everything. But I bought into it. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. And um, uh, is looking back and, you know, on me being the nostalgic kind of guy I am and always thinking about how the world was a better place in the 1990s and stuff. Uh, I, I miss Pleasure Island, especially, uh, like I said, I met my wife at Pleasure Island in 1999. So um, it's it holds a special place in in my heart and in, in my family's history uh because without pleasure island and without you know celebrating new year's every night um i wouldn't be who i am today and i wouldn't have my wife and i wouldn't have my kids and my family so uh, i loved pleasure island i loved celebrating new year's on uh september 23rd or whatever it was that year that i, I met my wife so I miss Pleasure Island, and uh, it, it was definitely a good time. So I enjoyed doing the research for this episode. Cool. All right. Any last thoughts on Pleasure Island or anything before we switch gears? The only thing I was going to say is you mentioned earlier that you could walk through it during the daytime, which we used to do as well. We'd go to the Disney Village Marketplace and and then just continue walking through and... and um, exploring some of the stores and as I mentioned that's why I would be on the stage I have a photo somewhere where I'm, where we got to be close enough to that stage and it did look kind of spacey now that you mention it so it's kind of weird that, <laughs> that I would never I, I thought it was associated with Pinocchio in, in, in Walt Disney's Pinocchio they go to Pleasure Island that's where the kids turn into donkeys that's so right I always thought that that's what the uh, connection was I never would have thought that um Mr. Moonlight over here had something to do with it. What was it? The, Burgermeister or something? No. Funmeister. Funmeister. No. Burgermeister, Meister Burger. No, that's, uh, what is that? A year without Santa oh, Rudolph, Claus Rudolph. or something? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, no, the Funmeister. Funmeister. Fun and, and, you know, not to Was get, he a character ever, do you wonder? Um, I, I never saw a walk around character. I don't know if one existed or not, but it, you can... He was on all of the logos that, you know, there's like a, if um, there's, there's a logo where it's like this guy, it's that half moon face. Yeah. And then like, he's got um, almost looks almost like that Saturday night fever suit. He's wearing some kind of right. outfit and, and he's like dancing or whatever. 
um, and the you know the logo's got confetti and stuff blowing up or whatever. It um, the Funmeister was I guess you could call him the the mascot of Pleasure Island, but uh, I don't know that there was ever a walk around character. I never saw one if that if it did exist. And you just reminded me one last thing I want to say if anybody out there was really if it was too young to have gone. I, there were a lot of specials and things that were that were filmed here. I think New Year's specials. Anytime they cut away to Disney World, it was usually from that stage that Dewey's got behind him there. There were a lot of performances that took place there. And um, also, I wasn't there a show called Comedy Warehouse that was filmed at, at Pleasure at the one in Pleasure Island? I don't know if there was a show that um, that was recorded there or not, but I, I they sort did. of remember coming to you live in Comedy Warehouse at Pleasure Disney's Pleasure Island. And that might be the case. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Back the, in the day. Um, I do know that the actual New Year's, if you wanted to go celebrate New Year's, the real New Year's Eve, uh, I talked about how the um, the park went from a, um, a nightly entrance fee where you could pay $14.95 or whatever. That's when it started. Uh, by the end, the... Um, the pricing was changed to a um, you could pay you never you didn't have to pay to get into Pleasure Island anymore. Anybody could walk in, even under 21 could walk in. And that's when they started seeing, you know, all those teenagers coming in to, um, uh, you know, watch the shows for free and stuff. And that's what ended the, the West End stage and all of that. So when they when they transformed from a entrance fee into a just pay to get into the clubs. It was uh, $23.95 and that got you into all the clubs. It was one, one, one fee to get into all the clubs, or you could pay like it was 11 or $12 to uh, get into a single club. So if you just wanted to go to the comedy warehouse one night, you could pay 12 bucks and you could just go to that. And, um, but for, actual new year's eve it was a bigger party and everything so if you went on the real new year's eve and counted down the real countdown um that ticket would have cost you about 55 bucks wow. for a, for an entrance and that was on that was around the end of, of pleasure island around you know in the mid 2000s and um but there was actually um uh and i'm looking at uh, a list here of some of the shows you know, on actual New Year's Eve, it wasn't just Frankie and the West End Boys. They actually brought in uh, real uh, more famous acts. Former, yeah, exactly, more famous acts. So just as just for a um, a, a brief rundown, um, and I'm not endorsing some of these acts because some of them I wouldn't have paid to go see, and I wouldn't pay to <laughs> I wouldn't go see them for free. But uh, I know some people do enjoy some of these acts. Uh, New Kids on the Block play, there uh, played there in 1989. Um, <laughs> here's a here's a blast from the past. Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch played there in 1992. You guys, uh, you know Mark uh, Mark Wahlberg. He had a rap career there for a little while. Uh, Blind Melon played in '93, and now now holy smokes, this one I would have flipped out for. Johnny Cash played on New Year's Eve in 1995 there um that i would have been all over that one uh boy george played in 95 in sync savage garden 
97. Christina Aguilera played in 99. Uh, hey, I'd have paid to go see this. Hootie and the Blowfish played there in 1999 on New Year's Eve. Um, the B-52s and Sticks played in 1999. So the, 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 uh, the, the millennium, the new millennium had the B-52s and Sticks playing there. And then the, looks like the last big name they had uh, in 2000, Duran Duran played there in 2000. So uh, on, they actually did have some pretty big names come and, um, you know, play, uh, play some shows for those larger, you know, $55 tickets, you know, for the special occasions on the actual See, and New Year's. And that's something most people don't realize about Walt Disney World. It was the entertainment um center down in orlando and acts like this would be drawn not only to pleasure island but also to epcot mm -hmm. and big names would be right there right in front of you absolutely so uh i miss pleasure island i miss celebrating new year's eve every day of the year i think it was a uh, a pretty cool time you know again i when i'm the reason we started this podcast is because we're pretty nostalgic for for, for those days, the eighties and the nineties, you know, when we were, when I was growing up in the eighties and uh, you know, becoming, uh, I guess you could say an adult in the nineties uh, you know, that was in my opinion, the heyday or the best time of the Walt Disney world resort. And uh, I do miss celebrating new year's Eve every night of the year. So that was awesome fellas. I appreciate y'all reflecting on new year's Eve celebrations at Walt Disney world's pleasure islands. All right, so let's switch gears to what's happening now in Walt Disney World. So this week in what Disney is billing as a part of the magic returning for the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World, Typhoon Lagoon officially reopened on January 2nd. Uh, as you guys recall, Typhoon Lagoon has been closed since the resort closed uh, due to the global pandemic in March of 2020. So the reopening will mark the return of the water park's favorite attractions and the debut of new menu items, which include a new frozen dessert bar and my personal favorite, Walt's Chili Nachos. This is described as a new twist on a classic favorite in this playful interpretation of Walt Disney's beloved chili recipe. So we've talked about um, on the show a couple of times we've talked about how much uh, Walt loved his chili and had chili on the menu at uh, Disneyland and at the at his studios just because he was such a fan of chili so I think that's pretty cool that they're they're offering up chili nachos Walt's chili nachos but that's um that's pretty cool that you know Typhoon Lagoon's reopening like I said it's been open been closed for almost two years so uh, I, I understand that Disney has taken advantage of that closure to do some rehab and refurbishment and, you know, uh, sprucing up the place. So that's pretty cool. Excited to see that uh, reopening. I see that, you know, today is is actually as we're recording, this is January 2nd and it reopens today. And uh, so I just, uh, you know, living here in in Delaware, I know that it's gray and rainy and stuff outside my window right now. And we even have a chance of snow tonight. <laughs> so um, I was curious what the weather in Central Florida was going to be today for the reopening of Typhoon Lagoon. 
and it's going to be sunny at 86 degrees oh, today. Nice. So, um, now not only am I angry and, um, have a, uh, a, a burning hatred for everybody that gets to live in Florida while I am stuck in Delaware. Um, I'm pretty jealous that, that some folks are going to get to enjoy Typhoon Lagoon while I am contemplating, um, uh, a future of Monday, January 3rd involving snow here in Delaware. So that's guys, pretty exciting. Did you guys visit the water parks much? Uh, no? Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been, I never got to go to river country, which was the first water park down there. I never got to go to river country. So I, I, I am upset that I never got to experience that, but I've been to the others. I've been to both of the other blizzard beach and to typhoon lagoon. So yeah, good. Ron, you've never I've gone. never been. It's just one of those things that you have to make choices when when you're going, and we just always opted out of the water park part. All right. So, well, Ron, um, spoiler alert: you're going to ruin this week's uh, edition of what's your favorite. But uh, we're going to go ahead and switch gears to that anyway. What's your favorite each week? One of our hosts brings <clears> with them. <throat> a question to ask the other two guys. Those two hosts don't know the questions ahead of recording and must answer the questions on the spot. This week, I will be taking control of what's your favorite. And this week, this week's question is, what's your favorite? Typhoon Lagoon or Blizzard Beach? Oh, wow. Oh, so, I can answer this. Oh, yeah. I, I forgot. Your name is Ron. Never been, but opinions will be offered. So, Ron, go ahead. <laughs> what is your favorite of the two uh, Disney water parks that you've never been to? So I've never been, but I did do a lot of research on both. Um, <laughs> so in anticipation, you were maybe considering going. Yeah, to we were. We one. were considering. I was trying to figure out which one would be the most fun. And Typhoon Lagoon, if I'm not mistaken, you could swim with um, sharks. sharks. And Blizzard Beach is much more around just a winter scene, but with um, water slides and, and tall mountains that you go down. And that appealed to me greatly to be able to just enjoy winter in the middle of summer. Um, so we would have gone to blizzard beach is where we would have gone had we made the plans to go there so ron is saying blizzard beach is his favorite he um in doing research and planning for a trip uh blizzard beach was the one was the park that your family had chosen to go to had you gone correct gotcha all right so tony how about you did did you uh have you been to both of the uh, blizzard beach and typhoon lagoon I've not only been to both, I've been to all, I was to, at all three. I actually got to go to. Oh, nice. You lucky guy. I, if I find a picture, I'll, I'll share it. Um, I uh, think of, uh, it's hard to say with, between those two because they were both so interesting to, to visit. What I used to do is when I used to go to Florida, if I was on my own at the time, I would go down and visit my sister who lived about an hour away. And then I drive out to Disney world myself during the day. And so while you're by yourself, you can do whatever you want to do. So I'd, I'd spend the morning in the, one of the theme parks and then I'd take a lunch break and go to one of the water parks and then go back 
at night and enjoy the rest of the park. That was the most glorious time, I think. I really enjoyed going, doing that because you got to get refreshed. But um, the theming in Blizzard Beach is just so amazing uh, to, to witness. The fact that it's, it's warm, it's hot, but there's snow and ice around or simulated. And um, the only time you really felt that though, Ron, was when you went on the, uh, the raft and you'd go underneath one of these tunnels and they'd spritz um, really cold water at you. <laughs> but uh, I think as far as um, what I would think of as a getaway, since I use Disney World as, as my vacation and a way to get away from everything, I really like the tropical feel of, um, of Typhoon Lagoon. Um, I enjoyed the, the wave pool there a lot more. I enjoyed the, um, the lazy river. Uh, just as far as just being able to go someplace and sit and enjoy it as a beach type front experience, Typhoon Lagoon for me. Um, uh, river Country, the, the coolest thing that I can remember about that is being able to see the castle in the distance from where you were. Um, but yeah, that's cool. But um, I, I, this is what, this one's a hard one to, to pick because I enjoy. I had a lot of fun experiences at Blizzard Beach as well, especially there was one time I was there with a, with a family who had kids and, and watching them through the kiddie side was a lot of fun as well. But um, my voice, my choice goes to um, the Typhoon. All right. So we got a Blizzard Beach from Ron. And we have a Typhoon, typhoon Lagoon, Lagoon from Tony. Mm -hmm. Well, I've listen, my, um, my experience with the, Disney water parks is a, a story of highs and lows because um, I enjoy just like the tide going there just like the tide. That's right. I enjoy uh, I have enjoyed great times at the water parks, but um, uh, one time, unfortunately, I got a cease and desist order uh, from Disney lawyers um, stating that um, I they had received complaints from many many uh disney world guests that um seeing me shirtless in a swimsuit was <laughs> ruining was oh was oh my <laughs> gosh are we really oh my goodness seeing me shirtless in a swimsuit was ruining the magic for many disney park goers so um yeah, so that's the low. Well, I thought but... you were going a different direction with that. So <laughs> did I. I'm like, what did he yeah. do? <laughs> no, nobody wants to see me in a swimsuit. It ruins the magic for children all over the world. But besides that, um, again, you know, Disney, when they do it, they do it right. And the water parks are really cool. Um, and this one is a toss-up uh, now because what I thought was my absolute favorite thing to do at the water parks uh, is no longer an option. And, and Ron, you mentioned it, uh, swimming with the sharks was super cool. Um, I, I've never, I'm, I'm not a scuba certified guy. I've never been snorkeling or anything. Um, so really my first and only experience with snorkeling and any of that would be in that, um, what they call it, it was called like shark reef or something yeah. like that. Uh, so you got to use the snorkel and you got to, uh, you know, swim with the sharks. And uh, I enjoyed that. I thought that was super cool. The rest of it is pretty much, oh, it's a water park. You know, you do slides. Yeah. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Both of the, both of the parks are really well themed. Both of the parks had great slides and uh, you know, summit plummet. I think that um, I think the official 
uh, listing is that thing is 3,082 feet above the ground. Uh, that thing, uh, that's an exaggeration, by the way, that's not official. Um, but that thing is crazy, man. It's, it's really, really high up there. And, um, uh, I thought I almost chickened out when I got to the top, but then I was like, no, I'm a man. I can do this. So, uh, I did it and it was super cool. Um, but, uh, I, I just really, really loved the, uh, the, the swimming with the sharks. I thought that was cool. So, Hey, I'm curious, do we, we, I've done one of those super high slides and you're right. You're like going up thinking, Oh, I got this. Then you get to the top and it's like, do I really want to do this? But <laughs> I went down one. And you actually came off the slide. Did you come mm -hmm. off the slide on that one? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You, the first 15 feet or so of that slide, you're not touching the slide. You're, you're off of it. Yeah, it yeah. is crazy. Yeah, but. You know, the um, one I had, so you, you're kind of hydroplaning, and then there was a hump in the middle. So you'd actually do a little bit of a air and then come. It was. I don't think Summit Plummet does that. Um, but you, you do when you go off of it. Your, your back is not touching. And then at some point, the, the slide starts to starts to kind of angle towards, you know, sure. towards the water. And that's when you your body rejoins the uh, <laughs> with the thump. That's when the when the when your body rejoins or reconnects with the slide. And your but, shorts get pulled up to the back of your neck. Yes, it is. <laughs> you, you, it's uh, it's like a, a wedgie. You give yourself a wedgie on the slide wedgie there. Yeah, so, but I'm going Typhoon Lagoon. I really enjoyed the um, uh, the sh and, uh, the shark reef. Uh, interesting footnote um, involved in that cease and desist order. Also, the sharks. The sharks complained about seeing me in a swimsuit. Um, <laughs> so you know, even the sharks complained about me being shirtless. So that that puts a damper on it. But anyway, Typhoon Lagoon is my boat. I enjoy. I've, I've only been to one other theme park that wasn't Disney uh, that I can think of. It, it, it there's one here that's called Hurricane Harbor. It's it's uh, run by um by Six Flags and obviously it's a takeoff on on Typhoon Lagoon. But one thing I have to say is that Disney's theme parks um at the time when I used to go were so clean. It was just very very clean. And um I'm hoping it's still like that, but that's the one takeaway. I, I never had it. I'm not really, a, I don't like walking around barefoot, but there I had no problem. Mm. And hey, let's be honest. The best thing about going to a Disney water park is that you buy the mug and uh, it's got the barcode on it. So you get free refills on the mug on soft oh, drinks yeah, like right. the whole day. Nice. So that was, always, I don't, I still to this day, I don't understand why Disney doesn't do that in the parks. Um Universal does that. You can buy a one of their big mugs, and it's like I mean, it's it's fifteen bucks or whatever, maybe maybe even twenty. Uh, and, and they're still making money. I don't care if you have that thing filled every minute of the day; you're still making money on that. Sir, yeah. it nothing. It yeah, it, it it costs like a nickel to fill a cup with Coke or whatever, and then the cup you figure they probably spent two bucks on a to produce that plastic cup. They're they're making money on that even so, but I guess they're not making as much as charging you six dollars for a bottle of Coke. So, um, but that's the best part of the water parks. I always enjoyed the the free refills. All right, so that's it for what's your favorite this week? Looks like Typhoon Lagoon wins. We got two votes for Typhoon Lagoon and one for Blizzard Beach. And that just about does it for this episode of the WDW Reflections podcast. Please find and follow us on all of our social media. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube 
at WDW Reflections Podcast and on Twitter at WDW Reflections. This podcast can currently be found and played on many podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Overcast. If you love the show, please leave us some feedback on Apple Podcasts. Those positive feedbacks help the show reach a larger audience and helps us grow. And don't forget, you can always message us from any of those social media accounts, or you can email us at wdwreflectionspodcast at gmail.com. Send us questions, comments, requests for trip tips, ideas for future podcast topics, or anything else that you can think of. We would love to hear from you. And please keep coming back because we truly appreciate you. Thanks for reflecting on Walt Disney World memories with us on the WDW Reflections Podcast. See you real soon.